And uh, Paul is on his third missionary journey. He did three missionary journeys, and so he's on that right now. He um, comes to Ephesus. Ephesus is the uh, heart of the Roman province of Asia Minor, and for the first time on a Monday night Bible study, we actually have PowerPoint cause it, or, or outline up there. And uh, you notice the Word of God is there, kind of fitting, because we're talking about the Word of God tonight. <laughs> and uh, so that's pretty good. That's really good. That's right. Sola Scriptura, right here. Um, Ephesus is in the heart of the province of Asia Minor. And it's a great city in some senses. In another sense, it's the Temple of Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians. It's where the temple was. Great big temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. And, of course, in that city, it was dominated by sorcery, by magic arts, exorcism, the magicians, orgies, on and on. And so, just like other big cities, we see mankind showing his depravity. It was definitely uh, uh, influenced by Satan there. Paul brings his tools. Paul, uh, for one thing, brings his tools to uh, make tents. You can appreciate those kind of tools, right, Johnny? Tools. And you appreciate the best tool that he had, and that's called the Word of God. Because he's going to need it. And um, that is the reason he's there. The key to understanding our section tonight is actually the very uh, last section that I have on the outline. There's uh, verse 20. So the Word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Oh, sorry about that. What's wrong with me? No, John's the only one that doesn't have one. I have one. Oh. Somebody said it. All right, put that on. I about left you out there, Johnny. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. So the uh, Word of God grew mightily and prevailed, had victory. Don't you just love that? Word of God always wins. And, you know, it's the greatest thing we have to overpower Satan, sin, right? And it's the Word of God. And, of course, we know, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that's Thy word we have there. We're clean through the Word of God, right? You're clean through the Word. You're just saturated with it when you've been in it. And uh, Paul comes into Ephesus. He has his best tool, the Word of God. That's not written down like what we have here, but uh, God just kind of poured it through him as um, he really had the Word (laughs) being um, inspired as he was. And the Word was prevailing amongst the people as uh, they heard it. And so there are mighty things going on in Ephesus. Because uh, where you have mighty things going on, you have other things going on too. And so um, we see the, uh, the battle, but uh, we know that God always wins. So why don't we, uh, why don't we go to this victorious Lord. Father, we thank You. Thank You that we can gather around You and focus upon a person of Christ and that we would know Him more as we endeavor to uh, 
read this, to study it, and to take this truly to our hearts, to understand that this word that we have is very powerful. And we know that it has changed our hearts, but it continues to do that. Help us to keep seeking it, even when sometimes it's hard to. We know that we need it. We need the power. We need this might. And we know, Lord, that with your word we prevail. In your Son's name, amen. Uh, um, We opened up the first part of chapter 19 last week as we finished 18. And, uh, of course, there were um, the disciples there. There were actually followers uh, of Christ, but they didn't really have things completed. And they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They hadn't received Him. They didn't receive that baptism. The only thing that they knew was John's baptism. Baptism of repentance. And Jesus' is a baptism of regeneration. And so anyway, when they heard this, then they were baptized into Christ. And uh, as a result of that, the Spirit came on them and it was actually uh, seen, heard, uh, as they spoke with tongues, they prophesied. There are 12 of them. And uh, we know that uh, Apollos had been there before, and of course he had to be corrected on some things too. Uh, as great as a teacher he was, um, we know that um, he knew about John's baptism, and uh, so he learned further about the baptism of Christ. And uh, as mighty as, as he was, that made him even more mightier in the Word of God. So he's gone. He went to Corinth. Paul comes in, and it's time for him to unleash the Word of God in a powerful way. And he comes in speaking boldly. And of course, we know where he always goes. Sunagoge. Uh, that means um, a gathering together an assembly. Uh, it's the synagogue of the Jews. He entered the synagogue. Verse 8, continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So here he is, coming in, and let him speak. And uh, he speaks out boldly. And if you were to compare, uh, let's say, you know, he's talking about the kingdom, right? He's about the kingdom of God. It's right there in verse 8, right at the end of it. If you go all the way back to the end of Acts, you'll see something very similar. Acts 28. 30 and 31, you'll see things concerning the kingdom of God there. And it says something else too. It's really the same thing. 28, verse 30, 31. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. You can't separate the kingdom of God from Christ. You know, that's 
what it's all about. Of course, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand, as John the Baptist had even preached. So the kingdom of God, uh, Christ there, um, it's God's rule and it's related to Christ. He's the one that uh, rules. So Paul comes to synagogue. He preaches Christ. We see what verse 9 is. Um, people sometimes receive it and then a lot of times you get the opposite reaction. But when some were becoming hardened, isn't that interesting, and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, Christianity, before the people, he withdrew from them. Took away the disciples. The learners there. So he's first of all he's reasoning, he's persuading. Um, he just brings out the truth that they should have known. If he's in the synagogue, they should know what that what their Bible is about. That Old Testament. It's going to speak about the Messiah. It's going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He's always done that. Continues to do that. Preaches about what that kingdom is. They look for a kingdom, but they had their own idea what the kingdom was. Um, but so anyway, um, that's what happens is um, you get people really understanding uh, a little bit what he's saying. And some are coming to the truth um, as he reasons, as he persuades. Some are hardened. Uh, this always happens. It's, it's kind of interesting that he went how long there in the synagogue? How long? Three months? I think that's pretty amazing that he was able to do that. I think they were quite tolerant of Paul. <laughs> a lot of times they get him out uh, as quick as they can. Uh, sometimes a little bit longer. But uh, sometimes the longer Paul preached, the harder some got. Either the sun will come in and, what, melt that wax, or it will harden the clay. Harden just like clay. So, And that's what's happening. Uh, they started blasting Christianity because of what Paul had been preaching. They did it in front of the whole town. It said before the people. People all around. They were just um, blaspheming and doing stuff that uh, people do uh, when they don't like the gospel. So instead of believing and becoming softened, uh, the longer people hear the word and they don't respond to it, uh, their hearts will become even harder. And I think we all have seen that. People either become softened or they'll become hardened as as they hear it. Um, so they, they blew the lid off finally, the ones who didn't like this. And that was it for Paul in the synagogue. I'm sure he's saying, well, thank the Lord. Look how long I've got to stay here. <laughs> it's time to move on, but he's going to stay in the city this time. And so it says here he withdrew from them. He departed, got out of there. Uh, he shakes off his sandals and what have you, right? And he took away the disciples, the learners, the ones who really had a, a heart for uh, understanding and uh, wanted to be taught. And so he goes in the school of Tyrannus. And that's where he's going to teach now. He reasons daily there, every day. That's what he lived for. Every day. <laughs> Uh, by the way, that idea about the people become hardened, look in Hebrews 3.8, and this is what happened out in the wilderness when 
the children of Israel. had unbelief after God had done all the things for them of course that's verse 7 the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness do not harden your hearts yeah I like that the word of God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspires, right? And He illumines people to understand the Word. So the Holy Spirit said that uh, that's what they did. Look in chapter, or the same chapter, in verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called a day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will harden and harden, become calloused. Sensitivity will be rubbed away. And then verse 15, while it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke Me. So He says it again. And He's uh, quoting uh, right out of uh, Old Testament. Psalms 95 is where uh, that's taken for the most part. Um Chapter 4, verse 7. He again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as had been said before, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. There's the calling of God. That's a general calling. So there's the responsibility of man to respond to that word. They are commanded. And it's like He's begging them. Do not harden. And yet we believe in a sovereign God who we know that we also see him that he hardens hearts, as we see in Exodus. But people harden their hearts, but God hardens their hearts. And um, that is the mind of God. But we realize that people are responsible. So it's kind of sad. And, And there he is calling out to them. So, the hardening. He's got the ones that have soft hearts. And he reasons daily in this school. And uh, some old manuscripts say that um, that he taught from 11 in the morning. It started getting hot there in the summertime. And, of course, they took their siestas or whatever. <laughs> but from 11 to about 4 o'clock, he'd have about five hours to teach in there every day. And in the 20th chapter... Uh, next chapter, we see that he teaches them night and day. So it's like there's a formal time of teaching in the school, teaching all the, the whole counsel of God. And then at night, he would also be teaching people, not necessarily in that school, but he, you know he, he would work in the morning, first of all, like other people did. And of course, he was a tent maker, what have you. Then he'd teach all afternoon. Maybe he'd go back to work at 4 o'clock, and when he finished uh, you know, the work, when it was night, he'd go back into teaching. And it says in chapter 20 that he went from house to house. So maybe there were a lot of these disciples that uh, he would, they would have their, like a Bible study there. Who knows? Maybe they invite their friends. Maybe they didn't go to the school during the day, but they would come there at night. 
Uh, however it was, he is teaching uh, at night. Spent the days in uh, school of Tyrannus. So he was, who knows how many hours every day taught the Word of God. Probably at least six, seven, maybe eight hours. Different, maybe different people. This is Ephesus, big city, being drawn by the Word of God. And uh, boy, is it uh, producing some real faith. We notice that in verse 8, he's an, like an apologist as he reasoned, as he persuaded, used the Word of God, talked about the death, burial, resurrection of uh, that Messiah, and he proves how that came into be. So he's like an apologist. He's like a teacher. He's like a pastor as he goes make sure the people are discipled. So he went to the ones that uh, needed to be discipled. And it's interesting, in verse 10, you can't help but have that pop out in your mind where it says, so that all who lived in Asia heard. I'm not so sure about every man, woman, and child. But when it says all, it's talking about a lot of people. Everybody heard about it. You know, When you hear that, we, we know that means that there were a lot of people hearing this in, in Asia. It was all over Asia. It's just not only in Ephesus. Look in Second uh, Timothy 2.2. 2. That's to be an exciting time. We know later on he writes that book of Ephesians. They were ready to hear some depth. Boy, did they get it, didn't they? They had been taught very well, so they were able to understand that uh, great book of Ephesians. In 2 Timothy 2.2 it says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the, the church never died out because God always had His people and they made sure that they kept teaching that Word to others. And I think that's what we're all commanded to. We, we learn it, we live it, and teach it so that others can learn it, live it, and teach it so that others can do the same thing. 2,000 years it's been going. It's an amazing thing. It, it should have died out how many times? Hundreds and thousands of times. People wanted to destroy it. Still do today. They never will. <laughs> it just is, is uh, strong because of God. And so He wants faithful men. And so that's, that's what we're about. We're here to keep teaching others. Keep reaching out. And let's uh, be encouraged. God will bless that. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we'll read all of that. But that's the area that's known as the, the seven churches. Ephesus is one of them. And there are a lot of other churches in that same area in chapters 2 and 3. And that's where you know you can think where it went out to. As he taught there in Ephesus at that school, some had said, hey, this needs to be taken out. I know, I've got some cousins up there and wherever. Right? Smyrna or whatever. And they need to hear this. And then they have some friends, you know. And they and of course what happened is that churches were set up there. Paul didn't necessarily go there. He stayed in Ephesus, but they took it on out because it says that all in Asia heard this. Uh, is because um, they and some people probably were wanting as they heard about it. They said, well, we need somebody here. Well, maybe 
people, the disciples said, they need to hear this. I'm sure they may not think they need to hear it, but we got to go out. So they took it there. Sergey, what Sergey is doing. Exactly. Trying to get it out there, get it, getting some traction with the word in some of those communities where they're getting all that opposition and disinterest. That's right. Fighting a good fight. It continues on, doesn't it? So he's looking for a few good men and a few good women. Matter of fact, a lot of men and women. He wants all of us to be doing this uh, evangelism, telling the good news. Um, I think the word just spread like grass fire. You have a nice dry day out there and and a lot of dead grass, wind blowing, and man, it can just take off, right? Well, I think that was tremendous what happened with the proclaiming of the Word of God. And uh, so we see uh, great success. Of course, God defines success a lot differently than we do, but here we, we see it as we've seen all through Acts. No matter the opposition, the Word of God spreads. Now you move into verse 11 and 12, and the Word of God is confirmed, just like it had been through time of Christ, the early church, the birth of the church, and then on up all the way here to Acts 19. Um, when God moves into an area, He not only would preach the Word, but then He would confirm the Word with miracles. Now that was a, a standard feature of apostolic preaching. Jesus did the same thing. We know whenever He came on the scene. seen it many times. It's over and over. Uh, I mean... They don't. They've never had the word of God. It's there's nothing that they can turn to or anything. This, I mean, this is new revelation as the gospel is being presented in in this sense. And um, so this story is making the message legitimate as it's being delivered. And how, how are you going to believe if there's not something to go along with it? I mean, um, if they just say something, of course. Not all people came to Christ because they had to have a miracle, but um, if you hear somebody having a message of God today, what do you what do you compare it with to, to make sure that it's right? Does it square with the Word of God? Is it square with Scripture? That's how we test it. Why? Because we have this that's been completed. Um, there was. Um, Back in um, the late 70s, there was John Wimber and the Vineyard uh, Churches. And Wimber wanted... He said that miracles should be an ordinary experience. But I I wonder, how, what does he mean there? Because a miracle is just that. Miracle is something that's not everyday. If it becomes everyday an old hat, then it's really not a miracle anymore. It's just, you know, look, we live... Day to day, I think it's a miracle that we we have life and that we live, that we have food. I mean, where'd that food come from? You know, God's providing. Sometimes providence of God is even more miraculous than than a miracle that we see. You know, that's out of the ordinary, uh, supernatural. God does that; He can do it any time. Um, it's it, it's who God is. But what He did is that He's along with Peter Wagner and Charles Kraft back in 1982. There was the Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary had them teaching there, and they, people would, uh, hundreds of people would take this course, this class, and it's called Signs and Wonders. 
So they, they all took this. Uh, that was 1982. In 1986, the uh, floor seminary halted it and stopped it. They wanted to see, they took a task force. They wanted to evaluate what, what's going on here, what's, what's happening. They wanted to do it with the biblical aspect, the theological, the scientific, uh, the, the whole gamut, pastoral perspectives, and uh, try to test this out. Um, Wimber um, didn't necessarily believe that every miracles will take place every time we pray. He wasn't saying that, in all fairness. But he was saying if, if we're doing miracles along with our preaching, then we're preaching the gospel right. And he was saying our gospel is not complete if we don't have miracles. We're talking about the miracles of Jesus and even greater than that. Now, granted, healing does attract people. It was, it was called power evangelism. And granted, uh, Christ preached the word and there were many miracles and that was backing up and the apostles did. And, you know, you don't really see that today in that sense. And, um, you know, there are times when we, we want some kind of a supernatural thing to happen. And it can. God can come in. He can heal. He can bring in some kind of miracle that is needed. And sometimes He's done some things that maybe even small ways that was still yet supernatural. You know I mean? Or the way that He can comfort us sometimes. But it's not necessarily a uh, maybe a grandiose thing like uh, uh, growing an arm back where there wasn't an arm, that kind of thing. But... Um, Fuller Seminary evaluation noted that not even the apostles did miracles on par with those of Jesus. And Jesus had said, greater things will you do than what I've done. And it was taken that, oh, we can do greater things than Jesus. Well, it's not that they necessarily did things that were greater, but it expanded. They were able to go out more and hit more areas. He more or less stayed in one area there in Israel. And, of course, the gospel went out uh, to from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And the apostles did extraordinary miracles. We've been seeing them time after time. We don't deny that. We don't deny a God who can do miracles. But apart from Stephen and Philip, the only other ones that you'll see in Scripture here in this New Testament... Uh, perform miracles are the apostles. And, of course, in 2 Corinthians 12.12, the signs of an apostle are signs, wonders, miracles, that kind of thing. So that, and, and it is a supernatural thing, and, and it is something that um, is, is from God, but there's reasons that He withholds that. You know, if we had our way, we'd love to see everybody being healed. Everybody. If we, but it's not one of those things, if I pray hard enough and he believes enough, and that's where the theology runs into to the problems. And so we've seen people cast their faith away because they kept trying to believe and believe that they can be healed and it never happens. Um, so... I think when you take Paul's extraordinary miracles now, what what he's going to do is he's going to show how he he's going to contrast God is going to contrast the extraordinary miracles that are caused by God versus other people that are trying to do miracles and are doing something. You have exorcists here, 
you have people that are doing some strange things with handkerchiefs and aprons, and so you can say, what's going on here? Um, and, and and it is an interesting time. It is interesting to look at, and we know that that this is truth. Uh, but here's the key thing. Um, and I think the faith healers, I put quotes there, and what their followers need to learn, what we need to learn, is that we should allow God to use us according to His will. If He wants to work through something in us that's supernatural, then He can do that. Um, but we should not try to use Him for our own purposes. And maybe making it our will. And I think that summarizes the main difference between Paul and then, like for instance, these exorcists and some of these other people that are coming from maybe using Christ's name, as it says here. And of course, remember, there's a lot of things going on in the other world there as far as the uh, demonic realm. Oh, definitely. So, you know, and of course, there were people doing the magic arts. And uh, so that's why he confronts that. So I say that's why we always want to take a balanced view of it. Um, you had spiritual charlatans that were uh, in for the financial profits. We've already seen that in um, Acts a, a couple of times. They use God's power for their own, or they want it for for their own. They really don't have any intention of uh, repentance of sin and such. They uh, they want God for a, a genie, Aladdin's genie, that kind of thing. And so uh, it's old hat. It's it's been around a long time. They'll use God for health or wealth or you know God keeps us healthy. God has given us wealth tremendous amount of wealth that we live in this world today, but we kind of term it in our own ways, don't we? But um, the name it and claim it, if you claim it by faith, it's yours. Um, you need uh, you need uh, some kind of healing. You need a new car. You need an airplane, whatever. If you really believe God uh, and, and have faith in Him, He'll give it to you. You command God. I'll give you a quote from a guy by the name of Fred Price. And this is his word faith teaching, which um, most of the word faith uh, teachers would go along with this. But here's from him. Um, He said, God has to be given permission to work in this earth, this realm, on behalf of man. Yes, you are in control. So if man has control, who no longer has it? When God gave Adam dominion, that meant God no longer had dominion. So God cannot do anything in this earth unless we let Him. And the way we let Him or give Him permission is through prayer. And we know that's heresy. That makes man the Lord. Um, And so you have the prominent uh, TV evangelists, the faith healers, and many of them will mail out their... uh, appeals for funds to arrive at about the same time as the Social Security checks. And so they they thrive on that. They travel first class. What's that? Yeah. They do. People keep putting it in there. They, they keep believing it. They just take them up. I feel for those people. And, you know, they, they're barely making it the way it is. But these guys, I've... Um, was a Joel Olstein now is is charging I don't know um, 
hundreds of dollars for a ticket at a have, has anybody seen any of that for his he's having some kind of a special crusade what have you sometimes they'll demand large sums of money for their crusades and so they have personal luxury in their own private jets and they have a, a faith and you too can have uh, the same things that I have if you have the faith and of course you give generously to this ministry okay enough of that why do I say all that because we continue to see signs and wonders and miracles and we see it taken in the wrong way and people stretch it out to where it the biblical meaning is, is totally destroyed the gospel's destroyed and uh, that runs rampant on our um, TV and I think uh, there's a lot of ministries that uh, start off good and uh, money comes in and they, it gets distorted. But what's, what's going on here? Let's look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And he certainly does that. He's done it all the way through Acts. But here we go. Here, here's, what, here's where people stumble up. But remember where you're at. You're in Ephesus. And remember the background that they have. So the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. So is there something magic that's in the handkerchiefs, uh, the magic in the aprons? Well, the, the people, of course, would like... They, they really like to see what Paul has done. And they see that God is doing a great work. But there's a super character behind Paul. And what they're doing is they're going to raise him up a little bit. And surely anything that he has there, and the the handkerchiefs there, the the aprons, there you go, aprons. <laughs> You've been making aprons. Any, any kind of magic going along there? <laughs> I've seen those are pretty good looking. I can't wait to see one on Johnny. The magic is a People have a flair for the dramatic. People are very superstitious. You can look at the Roman Catholic Church and you can see all the superstition that's come in there. But this is, you know, it turns into superstition. But it's amazing how gracious God is. And remember who, you know, who they're dealing with here. But what's a handkerchief? Well, at that time it was a sweat rag. And, of course, you had people working, the artisans doing their crafts, manual labor. You've got Paul doing that as he's making his tents, and it's Paul's old, dirty, crummy sweat claws. That's <laughs> what they are. It's just as simple as that. <laughs> and so this is probably one of the texts where you get uh, some of your modern uh, TV healers, and you've seen it, and you've had uh, letters probably sent to you. They send you this little cloth, and it's a point of contact. If you touch him and you send in your donation, then he will grant some kind of healing to you, some kind of financial miracle. And so all you have to do is put this cloth back into the envelope with your generous gift, and it's a tangible way of showing that you're believing God's Word and uh, that uh, you're going to get so much money or whatever. Uh, but we don't buy miracles. And um, but that's what it has been, and and so you know I I think I've gotten one or two of those in the mail as the years have gone by. Uh, and so what's what's happening here though? Um, what's going on? 
Well, I think God realizes, okay, there's been miracles going on. He actually allows a handkerchief or an apron to make an impact on somebody. And the sick are being healed. The diseases are leaving them. The evil spirits are going out. Whether And it doesn't have anything to do with some kind of a magic on these, but God is saying, okay, they're superstitious people. And um, this is an actual sign that will um, validate what he's been saying all along. Uh, turn to um, Acts 5.15. Superstitions can violate what the Word of God is about, what He's trying to do. But this has happened before, even in Acts here. Um, Verse 14, All the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Um, there again, they knew that a miracle could happen, that they could be healed, and even if they can't get Peter to come there, his fa- uh, his his shadow fall. Well, they were they didn't really know the the depth of all that what is being done here, but we realize that um, they know that this is some kind of man of God where there's power. So this happened even with Jesus. Um, Turn back to Matthew 9.21. Remember uh, there was a a woman, the bleeding issues, verse 20, hemorrhage uh, she had suffered for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. Because it, it's, you know, God used this. She knows that he is that powerful, that it's like there, this has really happened. If I can just get there to touch it. I mean, that, there's still a faith there, even though as kind of as small as it is, in that sense, she doesn't know what the fullness of it is. But if I can get close to that man, if I can even touch him, you know. And I think there's a great deal of that faith, and that's that's where I think Jesus turned and said to her daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well. At once a woman was made well. And it wasn't because necessarily that. I think this woman was destined to um, receive healing, receive Christ, and it could have been done another way, but in this sense, we, we show that people are desperate Whatever it is, and of course, look at the backgrounds they're coming from. So I can understand, you know, and so God can certainly use something that seems to be superstition, but it's not superstition at all, is it? So that has been done before. Um, God wrought special miracles, wonders, and signs. He convinced the people. And we know that it's done in the name of of Christ. And uh, that's the whole point. And boy, you'd have to be thinking, a lot of these people... I've got to be thinking. That name of Christ. Huh. If I just say the name of Christ. Hmm. I could really do some miracles. Done in the name of Christ. And so that's what this is heading into. You've got people 
who want to do the same thing. And we've seen this before. We know that evil spirits are coming out. For God's glory. Right. And it's the whole thing all saying, it's who, who got the glory out of it. One that lady who came Jesus got the glory out of it. It wasn't her faith that got the glory. It was her trust that he had what she needed right. to understand. There's a faith of a mustard seed. Right, and same thing that when God gets the glory from those healings and stuff like that, it's a lot different in the heart. It's a lot different. Yeah, what's what's the motive here? Right. That's what that's what it's God's will and such. Yeah. So you have competition then. So you're not going to see this happen in the name of Jesus without Satan moving in, right? Every time God's word is moving on, guess what? You have opposition and now Satan is working on this. That's that's the way it has worked through the book of Acts. Happened with Christ so many times. And I, I'm telling you this this message and what God is doing it's it's powerful it's potent and um, some people need a new gimmick so they want to copy what he's doing it but uh, some people have been doing this you've had Jewish exorcism all along um, but these guys need a new formula. So in verse 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And that sounds right, right? I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? I think that's the best response. <laughs> and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, subdued all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them, and all the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So God used that even for good. So here, these guys have never seen anything like this, this power of this formula in the name of Jesus. And so they start using that. They got this idea that that, that name, man, we've really got something here. We can make some money off this. Look what we can pull off here. We're going to do stuff that people have never seen before and we can go all over the place and do this. Uh, Go back to Acts chapter 8. You remember Simon the sorcerer? Not going to read all that, but we know that um, he, he was a believer in the sense, I'm not calling him a Christian, but I am saying that he believed in the sense of what he saw and what he wanted. And um, it says in verse 10, and they all from smallest to greatest were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, 
And after being baptized, he's even baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. He's all for the outward thing, not, not the inward thing. And all this going on, well, yeah, you should be amazed, but at the power of God, uh, he's being amazed because he's seeing what he can do with it. And of course, Peter knew what was happening with him. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, and um, who came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. If it had not yet fallen upon them, they were baptized. Um, uh, they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money. Well, what does Peter say? Uh, of course, after the, the guy asked, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all for uh, his own show. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So, he puts him in his place exactly where he's at. Uh, You'll see it in uh, something like that in uh, Acts 13, also in Matthew. Evil spirits. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. Yes, all the way back to the time of Isaiah, there were evil spirits who possessed people, who spoke through people. I can't remember where that's at. <laughs> yeah. Eh. No. Well, it's where it says there are mediums and wizards, uh, demons. They 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 chirp and mutter. Yeah. Read it. And when they shall say unto you, Speak unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that teeth and that mutter, should not a people speak unto their God for the living to the, to the that, dead? That was it. Why does not... Are you in Isaiah? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jeremiah. I'm sorry. You guys already seen it, right? Yeah. You're wondering, what's wrong? Okay, that was the one. That's Thank you, Audrey. You saved the day. It would really help if I had turned to the right book, wouldn't it? All right. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what we needed. Okay, I knew it was there before. <laughs> Where did it go? What's wrong with my Bible here? Yeah. Um, consult the mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? So there you have uh, spiritist, and, and of course you have, um, I think you can have ventriloquism, which is what that amounts to. Uh, I mean, like speaking with a human voice. These 
particular spirits can actually speak through uh, people. they didn't exactly necessarily always sound like a man's own voice, maybe somewhat distorted. But we know that um, here, when we look in our Acts passage, these um, this evil spirit, this demon, um, he's actually formally an angel. These angels had been with God. At one time they praised God. And that was what their existence was about. So they knew Jesus well. And so as one of them says, um, hey, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Um, This is uh, quite a mighty one. Evidently they were able to exercise some spirits out of them and sometimes you have to wonder if maybe um, kind of Satan just kind of Use that they played uh, into his hands, and uh, then it comes to a time uh, where actually God is able to show that they are counterfeit here. He uh, maybe Satan had kind of kept them trapped in his system. You know, he operates in a lot of different ways. Um, but I, I definitely see here that um, I think Christ is controlling this whole situation, and the Spirit comes out. And I think the early church must have had a little bit of a chuckle. Um, something they remembered as there these men went out of there. They were naked and wounded. They're fleeing. They're running out of there. I mean, you wouldn't forget about that. And uh, Anyway, I think Christ just fouled up the whole plan. The name of Jesus is magnified. Um, we see this became known to, to everybody. Jews and Greeks lived in Ephesus. And here you have the fear of God and the name of the Lord Jesus being magnified, exalted. And that's where everything is, is really pointing to, isn't it? That's really what it's about. People, uh, they see with awe, and, and they're in fear. I mean, a, a terror in, in that sense. And they realize that this is the power of God right here amongst them. Well, in 18 or 19, guess what you see? You see true repentance. Many also of those who had believed kept coming confessing and disclosing their practices. They showed their deeds. They revealed their spells. Um, They're divulging their secrets. And, uh, of course, a spell is no good when you divulge the secrets. And that's what they're doing. They're giving up their magic. And they kept coming. That means uh, it was... uh, The the satanic game is over amongst uh, the people here that... um, truly believe in Christ and they see the power of Christ they see occultism as as really a a lie they had a public burning they um, nothing nothing better than a good old fashioned book burning huh? (laughs) well they really have one here Um, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone they began burning I mean this that means this continued on uh, who knows how long it went? It was quite a bonfire. Uh, everybody's seeing this, and they're bringing everything that's along with it. It, it amounts to something like about uh, what fifty thousand pieces of silver. Fifty thousand. It's all their parchments, all the scrolls, their secret formulas that they had, the gimmicks, the paraphernalia, everything that that went on with it, and they they kept on burning it. Uh, everything that deals with the cult practices 
that they had. And it amounted to money. A lot of money. Somebody has said if you were to take that drachma, which was a man's daily wage, and multiply that, this would come out to about $5 million worth that went up in smoke. Because this is true repentance. They're giving this up. They could have said, well, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore, but I sure could sell it and make some money out of it. Well, you're tossing in what is totally uh, against God's truth, and it's from Satan, and, and you want somebody else to benefit, and you can get money out of this. Well, that that's not repentance. And so we see this. But they could have said, we can build a new sanctuary here in Ephesus with that money. <laughs> But uh, they they were repenting, confessing, disclosing their sinful practices. They realized that, and that's uh, true repentance. And uh, so they, they rightly burned it there. What an occultic place it was. This was a demonic place. Is it something, though, when the demons answered back? Is that the first time they really had a little I think so. I don't think they ever had anything like that. Yeah. They were very confident in what's happening. And now all of a sudden when you see this, and then of course him leaping out, uh, and uh, I think, you know, of course, you know, the, the evil spirits can do that, but they're only going to do what God is going to allow. And so he allowed that. Matter of fact, you see the results out of it. It, it brought fear on people, and the name of the Lord was magnified. And then you see the people bringing in their occult mac, uh, practices. Sure did. This this was an evil city. It's very occultic. And so, yes, he uses the miraculous. He uses the supernatural. And he's a supernatural God. And he can do it any time that he wants. And he can work through people. But um, I think this was a, a powerful thing that he did. That wasn't the norm. But it was a thing that uh, happened to um, the, the city of Ephesus. And you can bet that got uh, things stirred up. And that's what we'll see next week. That's where the riot started. Because you got people making money off this in a big way. I mean, this might be the capital of the magic arts. But let's close this up and let's see the result of all this. So, in verse 20, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. That's what this was all about anyway. God came in there and showed them. But this was really not a show. This is about delivering uh, the gospel, the truth. And Paul could have easily decided, hey, this doing miracle things here like this, this can draw bigger crowds in preaching the gospel. Why don't I get into kind of uh, doing that? Well, the Lord's Word is what's growing mildly and prevailing. As a matter of fact, miracles don't always result in conversions. And uh, Lazarus, I think, is a living example of that. Lazarus was dead. He had been in the tomb for three days. And then people saw him come alive. And that was Pharisees, Sadducees, all the leaders and other people too. And we know that most of those religious leaders did not want... matter of fact, after that, they wanted to kill who? Lazarus. Not only Jesus, but Lazarus. Because he's a walking witness. Everybody knew he was dead. And now he's walking around in in uh, where he's from there. You think in Bethany and walking down in Jerusalem. Everybody's saying, that's the guy who was dead for three days. You know, it gets around and, and you know. Um, but for the most part, 
people there, even that they saw a resurrection or a, a raising of a dead and still didn't come to Christ. Um, of course, some people did. But um, anyway, the prophets are going to be cut into. In the meantime, the Word of God is dominating in Ephesus. It's dominating in a very occultic, satanic, demonic place. And people who were involved in all those arts are coming to Christ. And no matter what... I mean, that is the greatest miracle of all. So he uses all that to back up his truth and it dominates. I see victory here. What do you guys see? Victory? What a... And that's that's a supernatural God. It goes way beyond anything we can imagine. Think of Ephesus and how that was changed. So it gives us hope for the world that we live in right here in Jefferson City, Missouri. And believe me, there are magic arts practiced here. A lot of magic arts that you can see on uh, TV. They have certain shows, you know. Was that one lady out of out of New York, and she, yeah. uh, Sylvia, is that her name? Oh, you can go probably. Quite a few new shows that have come. I don't watch them, but it's interesting to to see that people are interested in those kind of things. Always have been. On the other side, you have the real truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is mighty. It does prevail. It does have victory. And we need to be reminded of that, of the, all the things that are going on politically. Things around us seem to be just falling, and falling quick. But yet your word lives on, and it's powerful in a two-edged sword. It does convert people, which ultimately that's what we want to see. Help us to use this sword right and that we can use it to an extent that people would be drawn to you for your glory. And we know that uh, we live in a spiritually dead area for the most part, but you have your people that uh, need to hear the gospel and to become saved too. And uh, Lord, help us as we go out of here to be able to deliver that or to pray for those lost, however it may be, that we too can be a tool using the greatest tool that any man or woman can have, your truth. In Jesus' name. And we don't use that lightly. In Jesus' name, His will, for your glory. Amen.